0: In the morning, when you need the news that matters most.
1: They can kiss my fing ass right downtown and print it.
0: You need the front page.
1: All these mother f-ing editorials
0: on the press box.
1: They're really, really behind you around here. My fing ass.
0: With Granny and Bischoff. Rip them mother! F-ers. Rip them touching suckers like the fing players.
2: San Diego State. Beat Colorado State in overtime last night, 82-76. You're never going to believe this, but Isaiah Stevens made a shot what in a the shot final five seconds to, to force overtime. overtime.
0: <laughs> this time it was a
2: layup. It was. It was not a uh, heave from half court <laughs> to tie the game. Uh, San Diego State, though, their uh, 5-1 Mountain must play only loss was a home loss to New Mexico. Uh, Bracket Matrix, which is a website that sort of takes like 70 brackets that people do on the internet puts them all into a big one and averages it out San Diego State is a seven seed on average so the highest they are is a five seed in some brackets the lowest they are is a ten seed in some brackets so seven seed San Diego State highest seeded team in the Mountain West by the way my question for you what is the highest seeded Mountain West team when we actually get to the NCAA tournament I think an eight I I think think in the eight nine game. I think you might be right because, take San Diego State for example, they're probably going to be the team with the highest seed. And they are five and one in Mountain West, but they're off to a good start. But their last two games lost at home to New Mexico. And then they went on the road to play one of the bottom half teams in Colorado State. that looked good
0: for most of the game.
2: And almost lost. They won the game, but almost lost to one of the bottom half teams in the conference. They're off to a good start, but we've said it the whole time. There's going to be a lot of losses on schedules just because right. there's right. enough good teams. Yeah, I mean, hell, UNLV's not going to the NCAA tournament. They're a good team that can beat anybody in this conference. Right. So I'd be surprised if they rip off a 14-4 and record. No. If they do, they'll probably be like a 5 six. or 6 seed, something like that. But I think they're more likely to be 12-6 and six at the end of the, the yeah. regular season and around the 7 or 8 seed line, which is where they are right now. I can't.
1: Are you proud of yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're proud of yourself.
2: Yeah, Fox backs me. For wow. Way. And to be honest, to be Tuesday. honest, no, 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 that's enough.
1: That's enough. Next question, please. So,
2: according to Jeff Duncan, who writes for Nola. dot com, Sean Payton is believed to be looking for a contract in the twenty to twenty five million dollar a year range. thinks a lot of himself. We thought the John Gruden 10-year, $100 million deal was ridiculous. Sean Payton's apparently looking for that much money in four years as opposed to 10. Someone paying this guy that? So that's the other interesting part here. Um, Zach Stevens, who covers the Denver Broncos for DNVR, tweeted, the Broncos wouldn't have any issue paying that. They got Walmart money. I guess technically they wouldn't have an issue with it, but would they actually do it?
0: The Broncos, they might. After what they just went through with Nathaniel Hacken and how much money they've spent on Russell Wilson, they might. I just I can't fathom a coach making that in terms of Sean Payton coming back. Also, the report this morning was the, and we've talked about this before, the Saints want at least two ones. I thought they'd want more, actually. Okay. Here's, I have not figured
2: out the um, leverage for Sean Payton. But is there a chance he isn't actually interested in coaching? Like he doesn't want to come back. He's just doing all this for some other purpose and I can't figure out what it is.
0: I mean, I think he wants to come back if someone's stupid what? enough to pay him twenty million dollars a year. That's why, because maybe he's, he's throwing that number out right. there like no one's really going to pay me this. Right?
2: He's like, I don't really want to coach, so I'll throw this number but out. But if somebody's going to pay me twenty five million. million, I'll go back and coach. And I just, I and may, maybe there's some other leverage, some other thing he's trying to get done that this somehow gives him leverage. I don't know, but I when when you see somebody say, "Yeah, give me $25 million." You're almost like, all right, even you know that's unrealistic, right. right? Like, you don't actually want to do this. So maybe he doesn't actually want to coach that badly, but he'll take the $25 he'll million. He'll throw that out there. And, and whatever he does for four years, great. It's $100 million. Step
0: back one-legged. What kind of shot is that? Have you ever shot that shot? Do you work on that shot? Win.
2: The Memphis Grizzlies beat the Cleveland Cavaliers by one Stephen Adams tipped in an offensive rebound with 17 seconds left for the game winning bucket the Grizzlies have now won 11 straight games I am going to read to you the top four teams in the Western Conference right now number one the Denver Nuggets number two the Memphis Grizzlies number three the Sacramento Kings and number four the New Orleans Pelicans
0: I got to give credit to Mike Brown that I never thought I'd say that. You never thought you'd say that. I never thought I'd say that. I, he's done a good <laughs> job. They have won five straight. Um, I never thought he'd go in there and now look, we'll, we'll see what happens over the course of a year. But I never thought he'd go in there and be this good. That that has just been a yeah. wreck of a franchise for decades, forever. Yeah.
2: What the Kings last
0: Chris playoff Weber appearance was against the was Raiders. Right? Or, excuse me, <laughs> the Raiders. No, the, those those. Good playoff series against the Lakers.
2: Right. They were really good in like 2000, 2001. Yes. yes.
0: And then I think they made it one more time in the mid-2000s.
2: Like 04, 05. And that's that's it. it, And that's been been it. They've been been horrible.
0: I don't even think they've been close most of the time. No, they've been terrible most of the time. They've gone through coaches like crazy. So, here's the the
2: West. So, by the way, the West is very weird. Not only Sacramento, New Orleans, 3-4, but Golden State, uh, they're the sixth seed as of right now. They are... What is that? Two and a half games ahead of the 13-seeded Lakers. Two and a half games separate six to 13 in the West. Like How about a, Phoenix at 12? Right. They've had a lot of injuries. Which right? The like they're, okay. I don't know where Sacramento and New Orleans are going to finish at the end of the year, but it certainly appears as though they're off to a good enough start that they're going to be in the playoffs. Right? Maybe they fall to the play-in rounds and they got to play in that seven, eight, nine, ten games. But it appears as though they're going to be in the postseason in some form. There's a chance Phoenix doesn't make it. They're beat up right now. They're not in the playoffs at the moment. But there's a legitimate chance that we could have like Sacramento, and New Orleans, one of them, both of them hosting in the first round. And we could have like Golden State and Phoenix coming out of the play in rounds. Like you'd have Golden State and Phoenix as like a six and a seven seed or something like that in the in the Western Conference playoffs. I don't know who's actually going to win the West. Like Denver's really good. Memphis is on fire right now. But if you told me that Golden State and Phoenix get healthy and they end up as like the six and the seven,
0: they well, can, they can win the West from the six and the. I seven heard this too. on the other radio the other night at national show talking about um, there's an NBA uh, analyst uh, predicting who was going to get to uh, who's going to get to the Western Conference Finals. He picked Denver and Memphis, which I guess at this point are easy picks. But he said what we all think. If Golden stays healthy, you can never count them right. out. No matter where they're at. No right. matter where they play or where they start. They're always... This, I just think they're always the team you don't want to play. You hope they get eliminated before you get before they get to you. The Oklahoma City Thunder are currently the 8th seed in the Western <sighs> Conference.
2: I Genuine question. How many Oklahoma City Thunder players can you name? Not many. Jay Gilgis-Alexander. <laughs> that guy's really good. Uh... Uh, Josh Giddy just had like a big <laughs> game and I think that's all I got <laughs> wait 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 wait! Uh, the defensive guy who was in was he in Houston uh, Lou Dort
0: okay so I, that's, I two a, I I think, that's two more than me in the thunder because I got I had new Alexander but that's two more me I didn't know about Giddy they might be in the playoffs they <sighs> might make the
2: playoffs this year as a team that's has like 100 picks over the next five years they might still be in the playoffs the West is weird, and I, I kind of am excited for the playoffs because it might be the closest thing to the hockey playoffs we get in the NBA where you could legitimately have six, seven seeds winning series. Is the Joker the MVP again? Probably.
0: I mean... Game last night, he was another triple-double. He's... Uh, man, he's amazing. Yeah, he's, he's incredible. amazing. Oh, uh, you know, I can't
2: tell you that. Brandon Staley was not worried about getting fired. Uh, When asked if he thought his job was in danger, Staley simply said no. He also said, I am aware of the speculation, but I was not worried about that because I know what goes on here on a day-to-day basis. I know what we have in our locker room. I know what's out on that field, and I'm excited to keep going. Um, Here's my question on the Chargers for next season. Brandon Staley obviously is going to be on the hot seat, but what defines success for the Chargers next year?
0: I think what you have down here at least winning one playoff game, not blowing a twenty-seven to nothing lead. Um, they better win a playoff game with him next year. So you think that's it? I if, think I think he has to win a playoff if, game.
2: So hypothetical situation here:
0: if he gets to the divisional
2: round, the L.A. Chargers go eleven and six next season, but they don't win the division Finish because, second because the Kansas City Chiefs exist, and they have to go on the road in their first playoff game to like Cincinnati, Jacksonville. Well, a Jacksonville game, but they go on the road in their first playoff game to Cincinnati and lose. You
0: think he's fired? I think he's fired. I if don't think did, you're wrong. If he does, if he does not win a playoff game, which would have been, it'd be his third or fourth year.
2: Next year will be his third. Yeah. Okay. And he will have missed the playoffs by a game, made the playoffs and lost in the first round. He and lost then the way they did. Losing the first round again. I just I'm just very curious because there's a few teams that are going to be in this scenario in the AFC right the the Dolphins are in this scenario the Patriots are in this scenario the Steelers are in this scenario if the Raiders get good they're in the scenario you've got teams that are that are probably pretty good and are, are playoff level or close to playoff level but they just don't have a realistic chance right and it's because of how good the top 3 to 4 teams in this division are and or in this conference are. And so I'm fascinated to see. Same thing we'll probably talk about with Mike McDaniel in Miami, right? They make the playoffs next year and lose in the first round to Kansas City or something? Uh, okay, is that like if he if you if you do that like three straight years, is that failure that you're not better than Mahomes and Andy Reid? It's probably not, but I think we might see coaches fired that get to the playoffs but they just can't beat they Mahomes can't beat, or Burrow they can't or, or beat the Allen. Good teams. And it's a crappy place to be in the AFC? Daddy had a breakaway. Luka Doncic wants the Mavs to improve the roster at the trade deadline. This from a story in ESPN. Sources said Luka Doncic, who hasn't shown a desire to be involved in personnel matters in the past, has strongly indicated he wants the Mavs to upgrade before the February 9th trade deadline. I Mavs mean, lost to the uh, Hawks last night,
0: by the way. Watch some of that. What the... I guess he means building around himself. Um, Does that mean moving player? We've seen Chris Wood on the block, um, the former UNLV player. I'm wondering what types of players he thinks he needs around them to be better than they are.
2: Somebody better than Chris
0: Wood would be my
2: guess. He's like, all right, who's my second best player? I think Spencer Dinwiddie was their second leading scorer last night against the Hawks. You look out there and say, all right, can we get better than Dinwiddie and Chris Wood is my two or three options on the team? The Mavs this year, and this is what I think is interesting. They're fifth in the West in offensive rating, or excuse me, in the league. They're 25th in defensive rating. They're good offensively. They're terrible defensively. It feels like a team that needs to build defense around Luka and go from there. The other question with Luka is it's the same thing that was asked of like James Harden. Can you win four NBA playoff series when you're asking on one guy to handle the ball right. as much as he does and create as much offense? Right as he does. Harden was phenomenal as the guy in Houston, but they could never actually win the championship the thing. because it's very, very hard to have one guy do that for four straight playoff series and win the title. So can that style win when a guy is, uh, he's going to get worn down is what's going to happen, right? You ask yeah. Luka Doncic yeah. to do that over four playoff series. It's going to take a lot out of him. Can he actually do that? We'll see. Coming up next here on ESPN Las Vegas, we'll get into some UNLV basketball. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff
0: on ESPN Las Vegas. Passvers goes baseline. His pass is deflected and stolen. Rod deflected it. Harkless comes away with it, gives it to Gilbert. Gilbert gets fouled, lays
2: it up and in. And the Rebels knock knock, have cut the lead to three on a 6-0 run to start the half. And Keyshawn a chance for a three-point play. Harkless out top to Rodriguez. Right side, Gilbert, McCabe a three from the corner is good. Rebels hit a big shot there. Jordan McCabe, and they cut the lead to two. UNLV basketball off to a one-and-five start in Mountain West play. Uh, Unfortunate for UNLV after they had legitimate hopes of playing themselves into an NCAA tournament spot after their non-conference play. But I have a very important question for you. Uh, Mike Ramallah tweeted yesterday, uh, the Kevin Kruger, when asked about EJ Harkless and John Cooper, uh, EJ Harkless, their leading scorer, John Cooper, one of the assistant coaches, they got into an argument on the bench during the loss to Colorado State. Um, that this this was the or excuse me the Utah State. Kevin Kruger, when asked about it, said that Harkless was frustrated about fouling out, and the coaches were yelling at him that the foul had been rescinded, and to go back in the huddle. He said they were only shouting to be heard over the crowd noise and not at each
0: other. Why is Kevin Kruger lying? I When he walked by those coaches, he was not happy. No. And I don't think that it was rescinded that fast. It was not. To where they could be yelling, it was rescinded, it was rescinded. It, was, it took some time for that to happen. So to, to paint the picture here, Harkless fouls out of the game. Supposedly. They called the th- what they thought was the fifth foul.
2: Right. And eventually the refs overturned it and gave the foul to Keyshawn Gilbert, I believe. So Harkless ultimately did not foul out of the game. But they initially called the foul on Harkless. Harkless is walking to the bench. He walks past John Cooper, one of the assistant coaches. And Cooper says something to him. And Harkless stops for a second and listens. But then keeps walking away to the end of the bench. And John Cooper, while Harkless is walking away, continues to yell at Harkless. It got to a point where the players, the other players on the bench, had to keep them separated from each other. Luis Rodriguez, who was in the game, ran from the court to the bench to separate the assistant coach and EJ Harkless the other assistant coach, Jamal Williams, comes down to try to separate them. And I don't know what was said, but then Jamal Williams started yelling at EJ Harkless, and Victory Wako had to separate those two. You had multiple teammates separating multiple assistant coaches from EJ Harkless. There is zero chance that they had to be separated because they were trying to tell Harkless, oh, you hadn't fouled out yet, you're going back in. And then, to your point, the referees had not determined that they were going to overturn the call while all of this happened. This all happened while the refs were still reviewing the play. The refs had not made any change to the call. Harkless was still fouled out. There is zero chance that the assistant coaches were simply telling Harkless, hey, you're still in the game. Come on, get back in the game. Why is Kevin Kruger lying about this?
0: Well... I mean, if he is, he just doesn't want it to look like there's controversy among his team. But we talked about it yesterday. Neither one of us thought it was a big deal. No. It's about... No, this stuff happens all the time. We're just more focused on UNOV because it's the team we cover. But there's, you know, 100 games a night. And I don't know every time it happens because it's probably not publicized because it happens so often where kids are upset or mad and the coach says something and then it's probably forgotten and they go in the locker room and it's over. Like why? I guess the question is why wouldn't Kevin Kruger when asked, Hey,
2: uh, Harkless and John Cooper were, you know, yelling at each other on the bench. Would anybody have batted an eye if he said, yeah, it's a frustrating time, you know, our leading scorer. He he scored what he scored two points in the game. It's like he barely played. He fouled out. He thought he fouled out and we were getting beat and we're on the road. Like we were frustrated. Like would anybody bat an eye if he just said things got heated because we were frustrated. There wouldn't even be a follow-up question. I, I wouldn't have thought. I mean, what would you say? Okay. Yeah. yeah, okay, yeah whatever. Like, all right. This is basketball. This, this, is sport. this is what happens in sports. People get frustrated and angry when things aren't going well. I wouldn't have thought anything of it. But instead, Kevin Kruger straight up lied about what happened. There's, there's zero chance what he said is the truth. He just lied about it. So don't lie about it. Just tell us, yeah, they got angry at each other. It was a frustrating time. We're all good now, which I – listen – I don't actually know this, but I'd be willing to bet they're all good now. Oh, of course. I'd be yeah, willing to bet there's now? nothing between no. John Cooper, Jamal Williams, no. and EJ Harkless that they care. Like They're <laughs> like, yeah, we yelled at each other because <laughs> we sucked. We were getting beat on the road. And so it's not that big of a deal. All right. UNLV, uh, they play again this weekend. Would you make any significant changes right now? At one
0: and five. You did did a great job breaking down the defensive scheme yesterday, but I also agreed with you that I don't know if there's time to fully implement all the changes you said. Maybe you can repeat that. that What they play Saturday at Fresno, they played on Tuesday, came home. Um, I don't know if there's time to put it in a completely different scheme, but maybe they can make small, subtle changes on how they play certain things that at least try it. I mean, you know, Fresno State is one of the best, you know, worst teams lead, but they also beat New Mexico at home. So right. you can't go in thinking, okay, especially at one and five, that anything's a gimme nowadays.
2: At, so here here would be my uh, take on the defensive scheme, because what they do is they switch everything, and that's all they've done the entire season. There've been There have been a couple of times where they didn't switch the center onto somebody late in games, but basically they switch everything all the time. Their defensive scheme has gotten beat by a couple of different Mountain West teams. And if they want to change it, and they don't even have to change it for every game, they can literally just change it for, hey, when our center is in a ball screen against a really good guard, we're not going to switch. We're going to play drop coverage or whatever they want to play. Because they started one and five in conference play, I think if you want to make a change to your scheme, you start it now and you play Fresno State you should still be able to beat Fresno state, but you start it now because by the time the, the important part of the schedule now is the mountain West tournament. And by the time you get to the mountain West tournament, whatever scheme changes you start putting in now, you can, you can have those in and you can have those being used game after game before you get to the mountain West tournament. So if he wants to change something with his defensive scheme, I say, start doing it. And if you lose a game to Fresno state along the way, I mean, it's not ideal, but what's the difference between one and five and one and six, right? I mean, it's okay. No,
0: No, there it's. You said it yesterday. We kind of went over. They're they're going to face an easy part of the schedule, then they end with a difficult part of the schedule. But if you're, you know, ten and what would be ten and eight, nine and seven, whatever it would be, nine and nine, um, you're going to probably have to win the conference tournament anyway. So. Make your changes now, and right. by the, that time you're you're settled in. So that's what I would do if Kruger wants to make significant
2: changes to their defensive scheme. He might not want to do that, though, right? He might look at it and say, "No, no, our identity is this, and this is what we're going to do. We just have to play it better." He might look at that and say, and that might work. It probably will work against Fresno State, right? They probably beat Fresno State without changing anything. Honestly, the other curious part that I want to see. How many minutes does Keyshawn Hall play against Fresno State? Yeah. Well, 26 minutes, if, if, 19 if, if, points.
0: If, if he got 19 points the other night, you might want to play him.
2: It's it's hard to ignore the offense even when, I mean, everybody knows. Is it hard to hide his defense good. against Fresno
0: State? Uh, that's a good question.
2: If you're going to switch everything, yes. Because the, the problem when you switch everything is the other team gets to pick who's going to guard their best player. Right. Is basically what it comes down to if you switch everything. If they change their coverage, if they change their defense a little bit, then you can start hiding him because you don't switch. And, you know, he'll still have to, like, defend a ball screen, but he won't be switched on to the best player. He'll just have to stop his role man from getting a layup or something like that. So I'm curious to see because Milwaukee weirdly got benched, played three minutes, and that's been their starting center for every game until the game against Utah State. Keyshawn Hall played 26. i venture to guess we see Keyshawn
0: Hall... I think you see him after that performance the other yeah. night offensively. I mean, maybe you put him in and he misses like four shots in two minutes. And then you take him out. And you say, all right. It's not that night again. We'll see you next week.
2: But you put him in. and Because here was the other part about Keyshawn Hall that was funny. He immediately came into the game and started shooting. Like, he came yeah. in and they, he well, got he the figured, ball. I'm, I'm going to take my shots. Right. Now. I'm going to get mine because I don't right. usually get this opportunity. He's like, I'm in. Ball's going up. Yep. you got. Oh, you passed me the ball. You're not getting it back. It's going up. And he was pretty efficient on the offensive end. So that was the interesting part. It's like, okay, if you put Keyshawn Hall in the game, he's he's going to become like your number one option on offense because as soon as he touches it, the ball's going up. And I can't—I don't really blame him for the way he played against Utah State because he yeah, was really he good a offensively. Shot. All right, coming up next year on ESPN Las Vegas, Darren Millard joins the show. Moose, you just keep on and This doesn't concern you.
1: Maroon is not just a color. This is the VGK Update with Darren Millsy-Millard. Good morning,
0: Darren. Hi, Darren. Good morning, Ed. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, buddy? Yeah, I'm doing well. Doing well.
2: Oh, what it's did, good. What did I do? I thought you liked me last week. Uh, it was a one-week thing. All right. Just let me try it out. That's fair. That's fair. Shouldn't You shouldn't have kept that going for as long as you did. Um, all right. <laughs> Here's a very important question. Uh, We're going to Dr. Frank Saravali, as Robin Leonard likes to call him. said Mark Stone's dealing with a back issue again and could be worrisome. Uh, Is Mark Stone dealing with a back issue again, and could this be another long-term situation for Mark Stone to miss games?
1: Well, I I don't know, but uh, if it's a back situation, then that would be uh, worrisome because it would be. uh, And then, again, it depends on if it's the same back situation too, right? Uh, there's, uh, there's a lot going on uh, uh, along that, that area. But if it's, uh, if it's in the same uh, sort of uh, sphere of, of his previous injury, then, then yeah, that, that would be uh, something that would, that would weigh on you uh, for sure. And uh, whether or not you would, uh, how serious it is. Well, the Last year he tried to work through it. Uh, and it, it wasn't the most successful thing, but uh, having him out there I think was probably the, the, the best choice given where they were in the injury front. Um, then if it's the same thing, then you'd have to decide whether you do uh, go down what type of uh, uh, rehab or, or if you uh, go surgery again.
0: I know it's an obvious statement, but you can expound on it in terms of Jack Eichel's play the last few games of late. How much does he miss Stone? I mean, how how much is it that that makes such a huge difference?
1: That, that, that's a good question. And uh, initially, you would say he misses Stone, uh, but Jack Eichel is a world class player, and Ed, when when you look at uh, his his previous play before he got here when he was healthy, and uh, and this time uh, with, with Vegas, he's he's had some some great runs, and last year was when he was just coming off uh, major surgery uh, on the on the neck. Uh, so uh, this is a player that, that, that should be able to elevate everybody else's game and uh, isn't uh, nearly as dependent on somebody on his, on his winger. Uh, he's, he's played with far uh, less talented people than, than Mark Stone and been able to, to get it going. So I'm, uh, I'm willing to uh, right now write it off. Is there a comfort zone with Mark Stone? For sure. Uh, was is there a comfort zone with, uh, with Chandler Stevenson? I, I think there is, and that's who he's going to skate with tonight. But uh, but I, I think it's more of a coincidence uh, based on previous history, uh, and that's not to say anything away from, from Mark Stone because I think the two of them do work together. I expect uh, Jack Eichel to hit it. it, it He's been he's been pretty good here. Uh, two two of the five games since he's been back. Uh, just gotta get it going in the right direction. He and Chandler have both been off the last two games, uh, which is which is odd to have them both off at the same time. Is it
2: uh, fair? And obviously, I have Chandler Stevenson tonight, but is it fair when Mark Stone's out to look at Jack Eichel and say, okay? we're going to give you, you know, Paul Cotter and Nick Waugh or Michael Amadio, like some combination of guys that are normally bottom six forwards. Is it fair to expect Jack Eichel to still be Jack Eichel when he's playing with bottom six guys? Like, is that a fair thing to say, hey, Stones out, carry this line of guys who would not normally be playing on the first line?
1: Yeah, I I think it's still uh, fair to be expecting him to be uh, involved and uh, somewhat impactful. Is he going to Carry uh, a line shift after shift after shift. Uh, that's that's a stretch. Uh, but uh, but Paul Cotter shown that he can play up in in, in the lineup. But I know what you're you're meaning. Uh, the old uh, uh, Brett Hull line was always to complain about who his who his linemates were <laughs> at every face-off to the other team. Uh, I, I don't think Jack Eichel is ever ever doing that. Uh, there, there certainly would be a drop-off. That's why you, you table it, uh, quite honestly, Tyler, uh, top six and the bottom six, because there's a difference in, in the talent level be, between those two. So, but uh, but I, I think that there's still an ability for Jack Eichel to to be able to lean on those players and use those players uh, and, and be impactful. But to do what we've seen him do at times would be, would be just pushing the talent envelope.
0: They always seem to go back to the Misfit line even when they uh, mix those guys up. Would you stay with that?
1: Uh, I, I would stay with the Misfits uh, because uh, they're familiar. And the other night uh, kind of proved that true in, in the sense that where the Misfits were, were the best line early, and then everybody kind of lost uh, their way in it. Uh, I think uh, for me, and, and I'll just judge it on myself first, uh, to have some familiarity, to be able to roll it out, and to be able to lean on on something, and uh, maybe it's not as familiar to Bruce, but he knows that it's familiar to the players, and and don't have to go through that uh, that uh, chemistry adjustment or just uh, playing uh, three or four shifts before you really find your your rhythm. That would that would be uh, a comfort level for me uh, going forward. Now tonight they're going to go back to some combinations with a little bit more. Familiarity right out of the gate with with Jack and and Stevenson being together, and I think that's going to uh, should add along with the motivation just coming off a couple of subpar games and, and being ready right out of the gate. So, uh, given that that your fourth line or your energy line, whatever you want to call it, with Watt and Carey and and uh, uh, Keegan Colasar. Uh, are not able to be together because of Carrier's injury. I think he's looking for a little bit more familiarity in other parts of the lineup.
2: Bruce Cassidy called out the effort level for the Golden Knights last game. And I'm just curious, middle of January, how big of a deal is it that they had a game where the effort level wasn't good enough?
1: Uh, there's uh, last night, like looking around the league right now, it, dog days is a real thing. And you go through it, uh, Ed goes through it, uh, probably hour by hour with you. <laughs> uh, and and it, uh, it's a situation where it affects players. And you hope you hope it doesn't affect them all at the same time, that a couple of guys have it and, and knowing that, that a couple of guys don't. But this is a, a, a drop in a schedule that happens every year before the All-Star game where, you're you just, uh, whether you're home or the way, uh, you, you're just caught in, in, in a malaise. Uh, so, uh, I, 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 I'm, you don't like it. You don't want it to happen. You're upset that it does happen, but the reality is, 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 it is, uh, a, a sort of a tradition around and every team does go through it. To have a coach say that though is significant. And, uh, I think it was accurate that uh, that 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 wasn't what anybody expected at the National Hockey League level. Uh, he got his message across uh, or delivered uh, tonight. We'll see whether it, it got across. I, I like yesterday's vibe around the rink. Uh, there, it was up tempo. The guys were good. Nobody had uh, lips dragging on the ground and and, and moping around. Uh, I, I think that uh, that there there was an ability to act professional through it. But tonight will be a real key. Uh, the the first ten minutes, fifteen minutes uh, of that game, I'm really curious to see what happens. Detroit's going to be upset because they lost to the lowly Coyotes. Got uh, night Ending Phoenix, Arizona's uh, nine game losing streak, so they're going to be sour. Uh, Let let's see if if Vegas really takes the initiative tonight.
0: Well, I know the dog days hurt Pete DeBoer last night.
1: Yeah. Well, that's that's. Uh, the up-and-downs right now uh, of them. And, and, like, that's a team that, that looked good the other night, and they've lost three of the last four uh, or, or allowing a bunch of goals. So, uh, Calgary looked terrible last night against Colorado. Vancouver was just running out of the building in the first period by by Tampa Bay. There's, there's And those, those two teams, Vancouver and Calgary, were, were, were at home last night, and they had nothing going on. So, uh, it, it may sound like an excuse, but... We all have those those ruts during the course of a uh, time, and traditionally in the National Hockey League, this is the time after the holidays uh, and and before the All Star Game, where there's nothing really going on, and and it affects teams. It's it's a dangerous part of the season.
0: Hey, let me ask something real quick because uh, Bruce yeah. Cassidy said sometimes he'll go in the room between periods. Uh, a lot of times he won't. I remember when Turk was here, he said he never went in the room. Like, how often do you think this happens? It's very weird because other coaches will go in the locker room during halftime. I don't know how much they speak, but usually they speak. It seems in hockey they kind of leave it up to leave it up to the leadership a lot of the times instead of these guys actually going in and saying anything.
1: I would say veteran coaches uh, leave it up to the room more because they they're able to uh, they lean on and read the room uh, a lot more. Uh, newer coaches will still be finding the rhythm and and will do a, a lot more more. Talking and adjusting. I think I think most coaches will talk to their team before they come on the ice. But uh, when he says not going in the room, it's more right after a period and discussing things. Uh, and and most veteran coaches wouldn't do that.
2: When is the last time you chugged a beer?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, probably twenty five years ago. I actually chugged chugged the shotgun one 25 years ago.
2: Could you do what Pete DeBoer did and just, Pull after turkey. a big win in the locker room, just knock one down after not having done it for two decades?
1: I could do it, but there would be a lot of spillage. <laughs> would is, you, that, is that still doing it?
2: Uh, maybe. It depends on what the spillage looks like. If
1: it looks yeah, intentional, my, my no. spillage uh, ratio would be high. Would you spend
0: the entire day beforehand preparing for that moment?
1: <laughs> no, because I'd be bloated. <laughs>
0: It was weird oh. because it was weird because Pete said he wanted to practice, but there was no beer at the house. That was a little strange.
1: Oh, because because they don't live here during the year, so right. yeah, they they would have all that stuff taken out. Yeah, That's stop, true. Stop by the grocery I, store. I was never a very good uh, shotgun uh, beer person to begin with, so I would say that I would be, I would be more on the sippy side.
2: Yeah, me too. He's Darren Millard. You can uh, hear him on the VGK Insider Show. Also, catch him on TV on at and Sportsnet for pre-post and intermission shows. Darren, as always, we appreciate Thank you, buddy.
1: It. Love you, Ed. Do Take you, buddy. care of
2: yourself, brother. So there's Thank Darren you, Millard, Ed Graney's best friend. Yes, yes. I don't have many. <laughs> <laughs> I need them. I need as many as I can get. All right. We got tickets to give away. Two tickets to go to WWE SmackDown. Coming to MGM Grand Garden on Friday, March 24th. Tickets go on sale tomorrow, but you can win a pair from us right now. 702-364-1100. That's the phone number. Be caller number 9 right now at 702-364-1100, and you'll win a pair of tickets to go to WWE SmackDown.
0: We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Tonight, underway in Arlington. Shohei takes the first pitch and sends it deep to right field. Garcia drifting, and it's gone! Don't blink.
2: one nothing. Halos as Shohei Ohtani jumps Matt Bush on the very first pitch of the night. A majestic home run. Ohtani sends another one out to right field. That one doesn't stand a chance to stick around. Two-run shot. Second of the night for Shohei.
0: And the Halos are right back in this one.
2: Did you know that Clayton Kershaw's uncle discovered Pluto? <laughs>
0: Not, nice. na- not until right now.
2: <laughs> His great uncle. I learned this on the internet earlier in the week. Uh, Clyde Tombaugh discovered Pluto in 1930. And Clyde is Clayton Kershaw's great uncle. Good for Clyde. Do you think Clayton Kershaw
0: cares about that? Oh, I think it's kind of a cool thing at family dinners too. to talk about. I'd tell people. I'd have my great uncle. pictures of yeah. Pluto in my house. Exactly. my great uncle discovered
2: that. Here's the key, though. I never Clyde, had a great uncle. Uh, Clyde died before Pluto lost its status as a planet. So Clyde's great discovery did not get basically undone right. until after he died. After I think is very important. So he died believing Pluto was a planet. Okay. Uh, but Clayton Kershaw has to live on with that knowledge that Pluto is not a planet. But his uncle, great uncle, discovered it. Um, now, baseball topic for you. ESPN did a story uh, about Shohei Otani. He's going to be a free agent after this 2023 season. They talked to two agents and had them uh, try to predict what Shohei Otani's next contract would look like. One said 10 years, $430 million. The other said 12 years, $480 million. Ohtani Ohtani turns 29 in July.
0: Do we blink at either of those?
2: Will he get a $500 million contract? He might get a $500
0: million contract.
2: If he is as good this season as he has been the last two, you'd have three seasons in a row of Shohei Ohtani basically being a top 10 hitter in the American League and a top 10 starting pitcher in the American League. He doesn't throw quite as many innings as the actual top guys, so maybe you can knock him for that. But basically, you're getting top 10 hitter, top 10 pitcher in one
0: player. In you know why the Dodgers didn't go high under any free agents that, this year? Is that, that what happened They're here? All saving their money? It up. They're all saving up over there in LA. Get Shohei Otani? Yeah, all absolutely. Right. That's why, you know, didn't have anything really to do in the market, the free agent market at all this year. Wait, they traded for that shortstop from the Marlins, who's bad. Yeah, I mean, he didn't pay him that much. <laughs> Still got enough money. Still got enough money from the TV deal to sign a, show, hey?
2: a twenty-nine. He's going to turn 29 this year. So after this season, right, you'll be looking at a 30-year-old. Is a 30-year-old getting a 12-year $500 million deal? Or 13 or 10, whatever that number ends
0: up being. I think he's getting double digits, so I'd say at least 10. All right. I'd it's, say at least 10. Look at some of the deals that have been put out there. It's fascinating because
2: Shohei Otani has to be the player you look at and say, well, he's not going to do that for 10 years. He's not going to do that for five years, right? Continue to pitch and hit that way? like. Nobody
0: can believe Shohei Otani especially the pitching part. is
2: going to be a top 10 pitcher and top 10 right. hitter. Right, especially the pitching part. For five more seats. After this one, for five more. Nobody can believe that, right? That's the most obvious, hey, we're paying for the first three years of the contract. And then after that, we're getting terrible value on it, right? Like, that's got to be the most obvious one. I just, I don't think I'd sign Shohei Otani to a 10-year deal for $500 million, or whatever that number ends up being. It just seems so obvious that it's not going to last very long.
0: It's not going to be a good contract for very long with Shohei Otani. I'm not saying I would. I'm thinking the Dodgers will. How many teams will pay? Ten, five Yankees. Yankees would sign him. The
2: Angels? They don't. They who well, is their new owner? That's the big question. Whoever their new owner is will be the determining yeah. factor in whether they're willing to do that or not. Well, and whether
0: he's willing to stay there. He wants to right. win. That's true. Winnings, maybe that's important. At so 30.
2: I'm, I'm curious to know how many teams will do it because here here's the other factor on Shohei Otani because we talk a lot about owners in baseball not wanting to win, but just basically making money, right? Right. That's, that's right. why the Pirates or the Reds or the no, A's don't spend payroll because they're like, ah, oh, we're going to make money even if we suck and even if we spend $7 on their team. Otani, yes, you pay a lot to get him when he's a free agent here. But Shohei Otani, I, I haven't seen a number. There wasn't one in this ESPN story. What's the revenue he brings in on his own to a team? Like, Because as an example, I went to two Astros-Angels games back-to-back this year. The first one, Shohei Otani pitched. The stadium was 80 to 90% full. The second one, Shohei Otani did not pitch the stadium was like 20% full. Like, what's the revenue? You get Otani, and you get the mass popularity that comes with him. You get the attendance boost that comes with him. You get the attention internationally that comes with him. What's the revenue boost yeah. you get from signing Shohei Otani, regardless of what he does on the field, regardless of how good your team is, just having Otani? Well, is
0: it is it something that's going to equal the contract? I think it probably would.
2: So according to <laughs> according to a Bleacher Report article that just came out two days ago, Otani generates in the low tens of millions of dollars in Angels revenue every year. So it wouldn't match the contract in that no. scenario. So maybe it's not worth it. Because my thought was if, if it matched the revenue of the contract, then somebody like the damn Colorado Rockies might say, all right, we're spending on that guy. Right. And then right. everybody's going to pay attention to us and we're going to have a big attendance spike every 5 or 6 games. That's a little surprising that it's tens of millions. And later in the in the same report, it says on days that Otani is pitching, his uh the attendance goes up to an average of 41,000 instead of 30,000 when he's
0: not. That's a little surprising also when 11, i went
2: 11,000 difference? well, the angels weren't actually pulling in 30,000 for their no. games. That's just the announced attendance there. It's more like 10. So what's funny is when i went to the two angels astros games, otani was supposed to pitch the day before he actually pitched, but the manager changed the the rotation and the angels had to like give i think they gave refunds for people who bought tickets for the first day thinking otani was pitching and he ended up not pitching.